I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I am your host, Ari Gronich, and today I have with me Sean Harper, former NFL offensive lineman, and offensive is correct, uh, owned and operated American Services and Protection, a growing multi-million dollar security services firm, which is headquartered in Ohio. Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into the NFL, because, you know, that's not like any e- easy task. It doesn't just take a big guy, but uh, how, how you did that and uh, what mindset, et cetera, you know, just kind of yeah. roll a little bit on your history. So I was probably one of the most unlikely individuals to ever play professional football. Let me back up. Gratitude. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for this opportunity to share my unique experience, my mindset, and my approach to life and winning. On to your question. Yeah, just it's just the most unlikeliest route uh, to play professional football. Most athletes, especially nowadays, they're tracked uh, outside of maybe Pee Wee football. You know, everyone will know who you are. You're tracked from the second, third grade, all the way through college. And sometimes you're, you're even steered to go to certain colleges. And so those systems are in place. And then, you know, you naturally fall in line once you're drafted, but I completely backdoored the entire system. Um, I barely started in high school football. I wasn't even honorable mention or conference. Um, I didn't have the grades. I left high school with a 1.62 accumulative GPA, not on ACT, uh, out of 154 seniors to graduate, my academic ranking was 154. And I had to go off to a junior college, obviously, in Mason City, Iowa. Like 26,000 blonde hair, blue eyes, everyone's last name is Schneider. So I'm in the cornfields of Mason City. And the first year, I sit the bench the entire season, not one documented play. And uh, well, I'm sorry, maybe I was on like special teams once or twice. And after that year, I... I made the shift and the shift was, yeah, you're right. I can't be successful according to the world standards. I don't have the education. I don't have the network, you know, wrong side of the tracks. I said, but I can win. And once I made that shift to winning versus success, doors begin to open or I begin to look at obstacles as opportunities. And I begin to see things different. I begin to like MacGyver life. And, and so I went from not even uh, stepping on the field to next year, I'm uh, junior college hall of fame guy and uh, first team all region, full scholarship to Indiana University and block for Heisman candidates. And then the story uh, ends uh, where you pick up saying that I played, you know, professional football for the Rams and the Colts. But one thing I've learned is that if life is a game you play to win and that there's always a way to win. And one of the secrets, one of the secrets to winning is that you have to know the rules and you have to be willing to lose. That's like, that deserves a nice, big, deep breath, right? <laughs> So <laughs> you got to You got to know the rules. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What if you're somebody that likes playing outside the rules? So 
when I mean, when I'm talking about rules, I'm really talking about laws. So I love, I love bending and breaking rules, okay? Because sometimes rules are uh, um, um, constructs to protect another class and another group of people. But laws are the foundations of this world, of this universe. And there are laws you cannot break. If you break spiritual laws, spiritual laws will break you. So in reference to the game of life, when I'm talking about rules, I'm talking about laws. I'm talking about law, law of the 212. And that means that water boils at 211 degrees and at 212 degrees, water boils. Boiling water has changed the world. You step in, you push yourself into the 212. That's a different law. It's a different mindset. Laws like that. And once you understand the laws, then you use them to your favor. Awesome. That was kind of what I was trying to get out of you a little bit. So, <laughs> um, you know, what rules did you break to get to where you are. Wow, so one of the rules, I, I remember playing um, towards the end of my first year and I'm talking about, man, you know, um, you know, I wanna play professional football going into, and, and uh, um, one of the people said to me, you know, if you're good, they'll find you. And if you're not good, then they will not find you. And I looked around and I'm doing everything that everyone else is doing and I'm not progressing. So one of the laws that I had to implement um, is that find out what everyone else is doing and you do something different. You do the opposite. So everyone was in Columbus, or my hometown, Columbus, Ohio, on the off season or their per, or respected hometowns. I decided to go back to junior college four months earlier. And I went back by myself in a dorm room. One other guy, one other person in the entire dorm I took some summer courses and I trained twice a day by myself. I trained twice a day in the morning, in the evening, 2,000 skips in the morning, 2,000 skips in the evening. I was willing to do what everyone else was not willing to do. I became an outlier. And I'm thinking, you know what, if there's, you know, maybe a thousand junior college offensive linemen coming out and there's only a handful of colleges, I'm going to make sure that I'm gonna have the edge. The next thing I did when I was there is that I pulled out a sheet of paper and I wrote 200 junior colleges. I'm sorry, 200 division one and division two colleges. I wrote them all. Actually, I'm lying. I wrote one letter and I Xeroxed it 200 times. I put their name in and then I signed it. And then I, 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 I just mailed it to every single one of them. You know what? The phone started ringing and so these are some of the things that I was willing to do that's a little bit different, unusual, ordinary, and extraordinary to uh, make myself known. Another thing real quick is that, uh, you know, the average uh, semester hour course load is, you know, maybe uh, between 14 and 16 credit hours. I took 22 in one semester, had night classes almost every day of the week, and I was able to graduate a semester early, which made myself more marketable, especially to, to division one colleges. So, you know, here, here's the, the big part of that question is how, how did, how, how did your mind shift so drastically from what it was to what it had to become? What was the, the impetus that made that happen? And then do you have like, 
some actionable steps that maybe somebody listening could go through in order to have this a similar kind of experience of mind shift? Well, yeah, so I kind of I kind of glossed over it earlier, but I'm but of course, you know, of course you, you know, being you know really keen and, and know how to just pull stuff out. <laughs> I'm gonna revisit the whole concept of winning versus success. Um, we're not created to be successful. We're created to win. Winning is the fullest expression of who you are mentally, socially, emotionally, physically, and the most important aspect as far as I'm concerned is legacy, okay? And, 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 and which is why when you, you know, watch sports and things like that, it's like, wow, you know, win, you know? Um, if a team lost every single game for the next five years, you wouldn't go, although you're, although you're a fan, Don't but you're not going to go. Chicago. Yeah, yeah, but guess what? You let you let Chicago win a couple Super Bowls, and you will find ancient artifacts. You will find old jerseys come up. You will find this is the original banner from nineteen. You would have guest appearances from the 84, 85 Bears. <laughs> They'll just show up at, because people are attracted to winning. In fact, that's a great example, Chicago. You know, you cannot go to Chicago, have a conversation with anyone over the age of 45, and somehow that Super Bowl shuffle team is going to come up. It, it, they will bring, they will deduct reason the entire conversation to that moment because that's the win video games man we spend so much money why it's because we are attracted to winning uh the casino billions winning in fact everyone who's listening to me right now you're one of no you're one of two or three million sperm cells you were the one that fertilized the egg winning is a part of your <laughs> your actual dna you are a winner so when you embrace winning versus success, your eyes begin to open and you begin to look at different aspects of life. Like, wait a second, first and foremost, I'm a winner. Like Chicago, you mentioned Chicago Bears. How is it that a group of guys and a big rookie can make a video about going to the Super Bowl and about going to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, call it the Super Bowl shuffle, have the audacity to make that song in training camp. Because the it, two things, two things that they had, obviously they had the talent, but two things they had. Number one, they had belief. And number two, they created a paradigm. So one of the ways that you can win is that winners is that you recognize paradigms. Everything, most wealth is created when there's a paradigm shift of some sort. And with the Bears, they created a defense. Uh, Tobin, Ryan created a defense the year earlier. It wasn't perfected. They created the 46. And they kind of messed with it. And they unleashed the 46 Bear. And no team in the NFL has never seen it. And they could not combat it. And that was their edge. So think about that. Prospering in paradigms is one of the ways in which you can win. 1990, the computer was, the internet was introduced. Think about all the winners. 1990, all the companies, that was a paradigm shift, okay? 
COVID is a paradigm shift. 9-11 is a paradigm shift. I'll give you a, a paradigm shift that's created a, hundreds of millionaires and billionaires right now. And that's cryptocurrency. That's a paradigm shift. Crypto is a huge shift. And once, and once you put on that winter hat, you'll look at things like crypto different. You'll look at things like AI different. You'll look at things like autonomous automobiles because you wanna make sure that you're on the right side of the track of the wind and on the wrong side of the wind. Your body will not allow you to be on the wrong side of the wind. So, you know, here, here's, here's the things that pull out. I, I'm the kind of guy, I, I listen for the things that people don't say. And so I, I read in between the lines, I see the gaps. So you're talking about winning and success being a separate thing. My interpretation of that would go, being a winner doesn't mean beating somebody else, means beating the previous version of yourself. And so a success might look differently to somebody who just beat their previous version of themselves. Like they may not have beaten somebody else, but if they beat who they were the day before, they're a success and they're a winner. Yes. Success says, according to the world, the, think about this. Success is a rule change. Okay. You're successful if you have a lot of money, if you have a lot of status. You know, we'll even allow likes to be considered that of being successful. If you look the part and you have a lot of material wealth, for the most part, you're a winner. Or I'm sorry, you're successful. That feeds right into uh, the elite's pockets right there. The car, the house, all of that. They changed the rules. They shifted the game. They don't talk about relationships all that much. Hmm. They don't even talk about your health all that much. Hmm. But they talk about materialism, status, and wealth. That is the determiner of success. And that's why people are so big in production and they're not big on reproduction, which is congruent to who you are. We are created to not only to produce, but to reproduce. Interesting perspective. So what took you out of the game? I'm not out the game. Out of the, the physical playing of the game. Oh, <laughs> time. It, it's, it's, uh, um, I always said to myself that I was not going to be the, that guy chasing the game. I'm not going to be that person trying to squeeze out four or five more years. And, you know, and, and it was just one day I just woke up, you know, towards the end, I actually finished up in NFL Europe and, uh, and blocked for Kurt Warner, you know, and, and uh, one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? It's over. Game over. It's time for it's time for it's time for another game. It's time for another game or another aspect of the game. And um, the rest is history. So, <clears throat> so then bears the the question that I'm sure you prepared yourself for a retirement from the sport. Uh, that doesn't necessarily happen with most of the athletes, a lot of athletes, at least that I've worked with, um, they've had the experience of having to retire or being forced to retire either by injury or, or some means. 
and having not prepared for that next phase um, financially or otherwise. So how did you prepare for retirement and what would be some suggestions that you might have to other athletes and people in the industry? Very few things can prepare you for retirement. You have to understand, I am a trained, as far as football is concerned, I'm a, you know, I was a trained assassin almost. I mean, I've been playing football since the second grade. You know, football is, it's, it's, it's like that's Sean, the football player. You sh- it's, it's your identity, you know, second grade, eighth, ninth, 10th, you know, the diet, you know, you're used to the coach, do this and do that. You know, it, it's just, and then one day at the professional ranks, one day, stops or you stop it so now all that inertia is still moving towards sports and your body responds every every summer and you know are you or if you walk into a locker room you smell it just you know you're still there you know and your mindset your personality and it's just it has been shifted and so one of the things that i've done is that in my mind i haven't left the game i'm on to a different game and I'm still playing it. And uh, this, this, this is my uniform. This is my backdrop. And every day I, I prepare myself accordingly. And so that's how I'm able to do it. Financially, oh, I, I was horrible at that. You know, um, I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of investments. You know, people always come around professional athletes, like, you know, I got this new, I had a Thai company or this company and no business sense at all. Uh, but I was able to take those losses, turn them into mentally, turn them into tuition. And, and I was able to win from that, you know? And so I, I've taken a lot of what I've learned in the corporate world. I mean, as far as the professional world, and I infused it into the corporate world because unbeknownst to a lot of people, the NFL is probably one of the most successful business models ever. Oh, I mean, that's, uh, that's easy to, to see. Yeah. So you've transferred this, but what would you say to, to the others that are in the sport uh, for, for ways in which they can avoid as many of those lessons that are harder learned? Learn how, learn how to take off the helmet. It's, it's, uh, the professional world is so encompassing, you know, it's just, you know, you're here and everyone sees you as the athlete and it's so intoxicating because you're not Sean Harbour, you're Sean Harbour, the NFL athlete. It's, there's so much to that, that you have to be intentional to say, hey, this is who I am. This is who we are. What I mean by we are, here we are, this is who, you know, our this is our relationships, you know, this is our marriage, you know, get away from that la-la land and say, no, let's dig down, let's really check out stuff and who we are and how we're growing and how we're progressing together, okay, let's strip away everything, so there has to be, there has to be a couple things that ties you to reality, that ties you to the moment. What's that movie called where the guy always kept a, like a quarter in his pocket, you know? And it's like, um, well, it was two of them actually. 
one was a long old movie called Somewhere in Time, but there was another one, something Tranquility, something Lee. Tom Cruise was in it, I think. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I can remember the line and the way that it looked, yeah. but I, I'm so, thinking on the name of the movie. Well, so that is one thing that I would always, always keep one or two things in your life, man, that's personal. That's you. Like if it's your marriage, it doesn't go on social media. It's just, this is, this keeps you grounded. And the second thing, which is the most important thing, I think, that you got to have one or two people in your life that will close the door and tell you the truth. That will always speak truth to you. Because you got your entourage, you got the fans, you got the groupies, you know, they're all feeding you and pumping your head up and gassing, even your family, gassing you up. You need that one person that's like, you know what, I'm not impressed. Do you know what, this is about to happen. Do you remember a guy named Jackie Slater? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to tell you one of Jackie Slater's secrets, okay? okay. I don't think he'll kill me. Audience, Jackie Slater. can you keep a secret audience? Yeah, keep a secret audience. Jackie Slater played, I think, 20 years professional football. Offensive tackle, number 76, probably one of the best right tackles to ever play the game. He was a man's man out of Jackson State. So, so Jackie, what he would do is he would go through his sets at practice. As the right tackle, your sets have to be perfect, straight up the line. You set too far to the right, they're going to come under you. You set too far from the left, you're going to give them the corner. So your sets have to be perfect. So Jackie couldn't watch his sets. And so after every set, he made me, a guy named Calvin Harris, we should play for the Hurricanes, Daryl Ashmore from Northwestern. We would have to stand behind him, have his water ready. And he would say, with a with a look of innocence that I've never seen. How's my set? How's my line? And every once in a while, Jackie, you're setting too far out. Okay, I'll work on that. Or Jackie, you're setting too far in. Okay, I'll work on that. That is how he played 20 years. That's how he was an all pro because he had somebody watching his line. Who do you have in your life to say, hey, buddy, you're out of control. Tighten up. You need that. Absolutely. That, uh, that is, uh, that's amazing. So let's transition a little bit since you're no longer on the field. You're now in the offices of American services and protection, right? Which is a security services firm. And how did you switch to security from NFL? Like what was the, okay. What was the thinking there? So my brother had a security company and he kind of basically turned it over to me. And that's the long and the short of it. But from a, from a psychological standpoint, it's, it's the same, you know, you know, I'm a left guard, left tackle. And, and, and so guess what? I'm protecting people. My client's my quarterback. Don't let your quarterback get sacked. It's the same thing. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. What is it that, uh, that was the biggest adversity that you've gone through pre previous to even being in, uh, 
in NFL or in college sports? Wow. So I would like to answer that. Uh, I would like to answer that from a, from the outside of Sean perspective. Are you going to speak in third person? No, but I'm going to tell you the greatest pain and the greatest impact. And I'm measuring that because I'm still dealing with that. And that was the absence of my father growing up. There's something about a daddy, a father. And if any men, if you hear me, listen to me, boy, I tell you what, I, my body, my soul, my spirit misses my daddy. Now, the good news is that he came back to our security company through our security company. And he was with me for the last 20 years of his life. Every day we employed daddy. I saw him every day. Love. Well, he wasn't always love. It was a lot of hate, hate, hate. Towards the end, it was love. But yeah, he had divorced my mom when I was like two or three years of age. And my mom raised all six of us by herself on the south side of Columbus scrubbing floors, you know, but the void of daddy and I can see it. I can see it now in my son, Caleb, because Caleb is now 18 years of age and, and, and I raised that boy. I was there for him and I can see so much that he has that I never had. Um, and it's like, wow, you know, and so my body, my soul, my emotions at times still aches for daddy. Every boy needs his daddy. Every man still needs his daddy. Ooh, wow. That may, you know, bring me to a, a different part of that discussion because when I am talking to friends about, uh, you know, equal rights and black rights and things like that. One of the, the biggest issues that I hear about from my friends in that community is the lack of dads. And um, if you trace back certain people, they might say that that leads back to when trades stopped basically being taught in schools prior to college. And, uh, and when, you know, they attribute it to a time period, basically, but what would you say is been the noticeable impact that you can see on yourself and then on any other um, people in your community? Um, identity. Your daddy tells you who you are. Your dad gives you that steel pole that goes right into the middle of your soul. It's like, this is who you are, a man. The dad calls the king out of the kid, you know? The dad gives so much. And it's amazing because our society tends, tends, tends to promote the opposite. Um, now, I don't have to talk about, from my perspective, the impact or the devastation of not having a father in the home. All you have to do is go look at the stats. 
and the stats are overwhelming, even in the crime stats, and even just, just they've tracked all these matrices. It, you know, the kid, whether black or white, that doesn't have a father in the home is so many times more likely to go to jail, so many more times likely a, a young lady to get pregnant, so many more times likely to be impoverished, so many times across all social economic situations and circumstances against different groups not races only one race human race but just different groups it's just plain as day but what be what bewilders me is that there's so much this is that there's little resources that are pointed towards that uh i heard this one story about this kid who who wanted to play with his father and he took this she had uh, this, this, this newspaper and he tore it up in little pieces because on the back of the newspaper was a world. And he said, if you can put this family back together, you know, son, I'll play with you. He figured he had about a half hour time, he, little pieces, right? And he came back within five minutes. He said, son, how'd you do that? Did your mom help you? He said, no. He said, on the back, dad, there was a world. When I put the world back together, the family came back together or vice versa, but the family together, the world came back together, but you get the point. And so it's like that family nucleus has been broken down. And I believe that it's gonna take a group effort, not only from blacks, whites, our entire culture, we have a responsibility of help putting that unit back together, period. We, we have that. I'm not asking for handouts. I'm not asking for, uh, um, um, you know, but when you look at our criminal justice system where it's like 90% African-American male, when you look at the disparity in sentencing versus a, you know, Caucasian person versus a black person for the same crime, we gotta take a look at that and say, look, we are no when you do not give social assistance if a male is living in the house like really if you have a man in the house you can't get welfare like what is that okay you got to take a step back and say no 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 we got to put the family back together and stop tearing it apart and and we have to take as men take responsibility in to preserve the family and stop perpetuating and break the inertia that's been established years ago. I'm, I'm glad that you added the, uh, the personal responsibility oh, yeah. there to that because- yeah. I'm big on that. That is definitely a thing, but taking into account personal responsibility, what do you think that the original circumstances, because to me, if we, if we wanna solve a problem, we've gotta find out the root, which is the, uh, the initial why, the thing that began it all. So what do you think was the initial you know, part of, of that breaking apart of the family? The initial part of the breaking apart of the family is just that, the breaking apart of the family. Where did that happen? Where, where was the family stripped the ideology or the concept of the family destroyed? So wherever in history that you've had situations or circumstances where they destroyed the family, that is the genesis or that is the crux of where it began. 
And so just go back and look and say, okay, ha, there it is. Ha, there it is. Ha, there it is. So I like to be more specific. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so in, in trying to be more specific, right, we've created a society that relies on both parents to be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week just to survive. I mean, I know a lot of families that have two, three jobs between, you know, each person each day. And, you know, men have, a, I think, a very interesting instinct to be supportive of a family. And when they lose that ability to be supportive, they tend to kind of run because, you know, at least in, in, in my world, it's like, if you're not able to support your family, what kind of man are you? And go on that route of, and then you just kind of, all right, I can't handle being that. So I'm going to just leave. Right. But to me, the, the beginning would have been when we decided that we needed people to work for their value and make money for their value versus raise their family, which, you know, we don't provide a value for in our culture. And, uh, and so just an interesting way of looking at it, I think. So, so what you've said though, or what I heard is, is that the emphasis in the value has been taken off the family and placed on something else. Exactly. Yes. 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 I, I hear that. I understand that. Whether it's a white family or whether it's a black family. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We have yeah. taken the emphasis off or the importance off of it. And we've sacrificed it in the name of profit or status. Exactly. Which is what I like to talk the most about is how we incentivize, you know, the things that we incentivize. What, what's the cause of the issues of the world, the incentives that we decide to create. So in the case of say healthcare, we incentivize procedures over results. In the case of agriculture, we incentivize bulk creation of profit over small individual farms, right? So we actually give tax incentives to these big companies that are poisoning the food rather than giving the tax incentives to the organic local farmers, right? So therefore our incentive is profit over people. So I think that the, I think that the incentive is step two. I think that the greed is step one. Step one to me is the desire. So like in, in, in the book of Genesis, it was Eve is when she saw the fruit to be good. So now that desire for profit, for gain, 
now gives power to the incentives to achieve that. And so we have to go take it a step further and say, hey, as you just said, your last phrase is that you have to elevate the people over the profit. Absolutely. And, you know, there used to be this thing about having integrity, right? Yeah. So, we, we, you know, the quality of production was more important than anything else. Because if we put through something that was of quality, this is how we got the made in the USA right. label of being such a powerful thing is because we created quality products. And now we've moved to creating lack of quality that's meant to basically uh, what they call that it's premeditated, but it's, that's not the word um, premeditated, meditated breaking of products, mm-hmm. <laughs> planned obsolescence. That's what I'm talking about. So we we've created this planned obsolescence for our products so that they break down so that people have to buy more so that we build more profit. And so, I mean, I don't know. I've seen radios from the 1920s that still work and, and, you know, crank record players and stuff like that. But I don't see very many boom boxes on the street anymore that are working, Mm -mm. Mm -mm. you know? So if we lose our quality, the value of quality of creating things that have quality, then we now create the incentive as you said, the greed to make things not last. So where does the money go? At the end of the day, it goes to nothing that's making anything, creating anything new. (laughs) Right. Like betting on whether the people are going to buy it or not. Right. That's where the money's made. Wall Street. So that being said, because you're a business guy, what are you what are you doing in your business to be more pragmatic and uh, heart centered about it? Well, so one of the things that I'm working on, my struggle, and I'm learning is, at the end of the day, it's all about people, understanding people, being an excellent communicator, um, listening to people's issues past the bottom line. As a CEO, you know, the bottom line is extremely important. So instead of focusing on the bottom line, I focus on things that influences the bottom line. And so when you put the, so now that you flipped it, I'm looking at people, people influence my bottom line. So now guess what? Pouring into my people influences the bottom line. So now my bottom line is people, not profit. Profit to take care of itself if you take care of the people. That is one of the hardest things that I've ever had to get across to a company that I've consulted in their corporate culture is that they need to switch their employees from being on the negative deficit side of a balance sheet to the asset side. Oh, yeah. And if they start treating them like they're on that asset side, all of a sudden their assets will grow. Yes. The ROI is 
off the chart in so many ways, not just in production, but in ideas, loyalty, referrals. Um, it's just, the list goes on and on. Uh, um, and so that's, that's the switch now. I'm like, the ROI is you give what you want. And yeah, you pour into people. That's awesome. What do you do uh, for the families of the people who work for you? So what we're doing now is, is that we are opening up and we're extremely discreet about it. But um, if there is a challenge that's going on with one of our officers, uh, they have the right or the spouse has the right to call in and say, hey, this is what we're dealing with. You know, we need a loan. We have some problems. Um, someone who works with us as an actual counselor, you know, what? you know, we can give, you know, because sometimes the officer might not do it, but the spouse will. And so we're trying to create that net now. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. One of the, the things that I like to, scream to the corporate heads about is how they take care of their employees, but not just them. They have families that need yeah. to be taken care of. And then I go a little bit step out and say, okay, so how are you taking care of your local communities? Mm-hmm. What are you doing for the local communities in order to uplift them? And uh, so do yeah. you, do any outreach in your communities as well? No, not as much as we should. We give anonymously, and I do speaking engagements on behalf of American Service. But you know, honestly, man, it's like far. It's it's like, you know, on a scale of one to ten, it's like a three. You know, it should be a whole heck of a lot more. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, a speech here and there is fine. Taking care of a food pantry. You know, we should have a food pantry. So yeah, I'm definitely lagging or lagging in that. Definitely. I could do so much more. Ugh. Hopefully I just inspired you to get. Yeah, man. You just like, you know, like a good coach, you know, you just called me out on that. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those things. A lot of companies, it's not that they're bad companies or they don't, you know, it's, it's that they don't even think about the possibilities You know, I have a a company close to me. They've got 50,000 employees. They do $17 billion a year and they have zero, in my opinion, corporate wellness program in place. And I look at that and I go, okay, so you have a community of 50,000 people directly. That would make it approximately 200,000 people indirectly, and then another approximately, you know, in their surrounding community, couple hundred thousand at least, like that's a big responsibility to be shirking. (laughs) Right. But they have a bigger responsibility to their shareholders. So, Uh, so So, and so their shareholders are concerned about one word, profit and and as long as at the at the end of the year 
you know, we're making, you know, our billions every single year, everyone is satisfied. And I feel good about myself because that's the metrics in which I measure that. However, if there was another metrics or another set to say, no, this is this company culture, which is huge, the value of your 50 mile radius of you, you know, that's on you, that school is on you, if that's measured. So now what we have to do is that we have to go in and, and, and actually draw up those numbers and say company-wide, we are gauged not only on the big number, but we're gauged by these numbers too. This is your win. Not this, not just this, but this, 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 and legacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just as a, you know, matter of fact too, is that statistically speaking, for every eight hours of a workday, the person's basically about three hours of that is, is where they're productive. Five hours non-productive, three hours productive. So if you do things that help your employees take their mind off of their family, their stresses, their other things, and you get productivity up, what happens to that profit statement? What happens to that bottom line, right? Is you literally, you, let's say you take 50,000 employees and per week you increase their productivity by one hour each. So instead of three hours, you turn it into four hours of productivity, right? So that's 50,000 employees, an extra hour of productivity each day, five hours of productivity each week. Take that five hours of productivity, multiply it by the 50,000 people. You got that many more hours of work done. What's your bottom line going to be? <laughs> right. Yeah, and, 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 and also, um, you can, you can encourage and incentivize indirectly back to the bottom line. It's like, you know what, if we volunteer or whatever, um, we have a donor who's going to donate back to, you know, or here's our goods and services that's going to help. And eventually it'll come back to the bottom line, but they're caught up in that. Like, let's say my amazing wife is like, you know what? Let's say I want to make like $20,000. I'm going to make $20,000 in this next deal. Okay. Done. $20,000. That doesn't impress my wife who worked probably for that company that you're talking about is based in Chicago with 50,000 employees. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, um, um, but if I said, you know what, we're going to make this money and we're going to give a portion of it to the needy down the street at the food pantry. Now she's like, oh, <laughs> and that nice, timid, beautiful lady turns into a warrior goddess like she She's going to get those numbers. So if you find a way to engage people and say, what is it after the profit? What is it after the money comes in? Now what? And incorporate and infuse that in your culture and in the day-to-day, -day, like you mentioned earlier, then yeah, profit is a part of the process. It's not the end game. So I'm going to take this back to the NFL a little bit and... Players versus owners, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to play this out because it plays out in corporations as well as obviously in sports, but uh, I want to get, get your box of gloves on a little bit because we're going to, we're going to, you know, share some reality. Sure. How much do the players get taken care of by the owners? Really? And when are the bullies and the people being bullied, when are the people being bullied gonna, gonna get louder and stop the bullies? So let me answer the second one, in my opinion. When you talk about bullies, are you talking about the owners? Uh, in, in many cases, yeah. yeah. Owners are, are... So I don't see the owners as bullies. Maybe it's the, the owners. Attorneys. Huh? Maybe it's the owners' attorneys. No, 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 no. They are CEOs. They're businessmen and women. And they're looking at the bottom line. They're doing what they are supposed to do. And that's winning every facet. Now, what I will say is, is that there needs to be, and there has been, and there needs to be a whole heck of a lot more of saying, hey, this sport takes a lot from us players. It takes a lot mentally. It takes a lot physically. Now you got the whole CTE. I mean, man, you're going to have to open up that wallet and you're going to have to create situations and circumstances for us to win when the game is over. When we're done playing, where's our win at? We're not winning. You're winning, but we're not winning. So guess what? The fact is, is that while we're playing, we're looking at, you know, when the game is over, buddy. So that's our win when it's all said and done. So if we don't get the win when it's all said and done, you ain't getting the win now. <laughs> so, so guess what? We got to come to the table. You got to you know, set a few billion dollars aside of that profit and make sure that we get the win 15 years from now. Now it's just, you know, hey, you know, that's just, that's just the nature of the game. Now you don't have a vested interest in that because we're gone, but we got a vested interest in it. So we're going to bring it to your attention right now today. Yeah. But I, I, I'd say that they do have a vested interest in it because people are going to stop playing for major, you know, associations like this if they're not being taken care of and start moving more towards creating their own organizations and their own, their own things. Right. No, you don't I think, don't think that, that, no, it's, it's, I mean, other organizations have tried to start their own leagues. The NFL has destroyed every single one of them. You know, they, they just, they're ruthless. They're just ruthless. The only reason why this is even a conversation right now is the big elephant in the room and that's social media. Because 20 years ago, you know, people, I mean, this information was still out there. But now I'm getting on Facebook talking about, you know, I'm still suffering from this. Now the media is picking this up, you know, so like everyone, this is now the elephant in the room that has farted. And now everyone is smelling, like we have to deal with this. So now guess what? It's circling back to the bottom line. We need to deal with this. And so now they're forced to open up their wallets. And, and so now I think the bigger question is, is that 
as an owner, should you, as an owner, should you already have had your wallet open in the first place? Yeah, so again, I, I have my own opinions. Right. If we don't want big government, right? And we don't want corporate responsibility, then what? So we don't want government to, to you know, and social security to, to get overrun. And we don't want our corporate owners to have to actually take care of the people that made their business for them. Because without the players, there is no business for them. Mm -hmm. Right. So with, without that, having that mindset that the bottom line is all I'm looking at is really short-sighted because if you think about it, those players, when they're well taken care of, can be assets for their entire lives, not just while they're playing the game. And therefore, doing things that are promoting could be good for a uh, an owner's bottom line, but if they're not taking care of their players, why would they want to do something for the team and the owner that isn't, hasn't been taken care of? So, so that's why I'm saying like, if they actually were to think about it in a way other than mathematically only mathematics with no context is what I'm saying. Then right. all of a sudden the context becomes bigger than the mathematics and the mindset starts going, yeah, but how can I make that work in my advantage otherwise? And you all of a sudden open the doors of possibility because you're doing the right thing versus a closed door of a no. So check it out. Unlike life, there's only one matrix that drives numbers in the NFL. That's winning. It's like you just, you know, Al Davis, you just win. If the stadium is packed, the stadium will be packed if you win. And so they're fixated on this season. How can we win? That takes care of so many other things. However, now, if, like example, if you win, the stadium is packed, the TV ratings are up, and there's more money is coming in. Now, however, the, the NFL owners are like, well, wait a second, there are other variables that we've never considered before, like players aftercare, because now everyone is seeing this. Now we have multi-billion dollar lawsuits. It's affecting the bottom line. Now we have the press and negative press that's affecting the bottom line. Now we have all of these millions of moms who don't want their kids to play football no more. It's affecting the bottom line 15, 10, 15 years from now. Now we have colleges and their own investigations is affecting the bottom line. Now we have to look at a mosaic of things other than winning on the field. And that and, and, and like perfect example, there could be a NFL player who gets, you know, a domestic case and, you know, and they're waiting on to see what the press is going to do. Okay, give you a slap on the wrist, you know, because you're good for the game. And then all of a sudden the press blows up like, what the heck? You did what? He got only a slap. Oh, no, we got to change that. Why? Because now it's affecting the bottom line. So you're not going to get these people to change their mind till you start affecting the bottom line. Yeah, so I agree that that is probably the most motivating factor. Um, what I like to attempt to appeal at uh, appeal to is things like common sense, critical thinking, 
and uh, butterfly effect. What are your actions that are, what are the consequences to those actions? What are the consequences to those actions? And what are the consequences to those? And if those are affecting the people who are making your business for you, then you should probably address them at some level in your mind before they become a problem. And that goes back to your question, should they have thought of this ahead of you guys making a stink about it? And the answer is yes, if they were thinking far enough ahead to realize that this was gonna be a consequence to them not thinking about it to begin with. So check it out. <laughs> Do you ever watch that movie called, I mean, I mean, I, I, well, there's a show, it's, I think it's called um, Undercover Boss, right? Yes. And so it's like, you know, here's the CEO, uh, he or she, they come in and they disguise themselves as an employee, right? And then they work for maybe two or three weeks. What is the common theme? The common theme is, I never knew they had it this bad. Wow, I got to help out because I feel it. I see it. These guys and ladies are so far removed from the afterlife of the game until social media. They'll hear something here and there. They just move in a million miles an hour. They don't care about that. But now they have to care about that. And you know what? I'm not the moral police. I'm not saying, well, this is how you should be thinking in this and this is not. No, I'm like, hey, put some jam over here for these players. You just keep doing what you're doing. It ain't my job to change your heart and change your mind. That, that ain't my job. My job is though to make it fair for everyone for years to come and legacy, winning legacy. So <laughs> legacy is not just the games you won, but the people you left behind. Yes. Right. Yes. And right now you might not be thinking about my legacy. And so I'm going to force you to think about my legacy. And I'm forcing you to think about your own legacy and the impact that you've had on the people that have impacted you. So, right. you know, this is, this is the, the great debate in the world in general right now. And I like to bring it up in these fun ways because, you know, we can, we can go on about like, I, you know, do I care about the owners of the NFL? Only in the sense that I've had too many NFL players have to come see me because they were injured and they don't get taken care of by the teams or the people that, yeah. you know, they injured themselves for. And mm -hmm. so on that level, I have a, a kind of an invested thing. I want to see the people who are taking care of these players, you know, step up their game, so to speak, so that the players don't have to deal with the injuries quite the same way as they've had to in the past. And we'll get continuing care afterwards to make sure that they're whole by the end of their career, not just at the beginning of it. Right. I think that personal, I think that we're both saying the same thing. I think that where we might differ is is you want a you might from what i'm hearing want a conscious decision to say hey this is the right thing to do and while i'm saying i don't care what you think you could i don't care you can we're going to put it in play a system in play that they're taking care of regardless right and, yeah. and i i i get the doing it in spite of 
Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. And are you listening people? (laughs) Why? What's wrong with being a good person and having integrity and doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Like answer that question in a, in a way that isn't just profit over people. Right. Because without people, you have no profit. Right. Right. You have no business. You don't have, you don't have anything. And that so, was the entire argument with the labor uh, in the NFL PA, who matters more, the people, or the, that was their entire argument. We matter more than your profit. Right. And I extend that because I have these conversations, like I was saying before, because I extend that same thing to the system of medicine, the governmental systems, the things that we're doing that have nothing to do with getting a good outcome, right? So we treat patients and we don't cure them. Right. Why not? What's the reason for it? Do you have a good enough explanation for not talking about the things that make people healthy? You know, do you have a good enough explanation? Because I haven't heard one yet. So I want to get those out. And I like, uh, I like being able to use the metaphor of, of the owners because that's just the truth. What are, what are some of the things that you love talking about when you're giving these talks to people though? Cause I know, you know, you, you talk a lot about obviously the sport and adversity and, and you're taking business, but what's, what's the main themes? Like give me three to four main themes of what you talk about in your talks and then what somebody can actually do with those talks to create a new tomorrow today. I love, I love to talk or the, or the nest that I come from is mind shift. It's different mindsets. You, you know, it's, it's uh, um, a lot of people think the way that they think because they have a particular worldview and that worldview has to be challenged in order for you to win. Let me give you an example of a worldview. A worldview is, you know what, you're going to work your butt off and at the age of 65, you'll retire and you'll have, and this, and the money will be in the 401k and blah. That's a worldview. That's not accurate because uh, over 90% of people are dead or dead broke by the time they're 65, depending on the government for their, um, their primary source of income over 90%. Okay, that's not an accurate worldview. The worldview up until recently was the best investment is your home. And we know right now, well, I'm gonna tell you right now, you know, unless you got some real estate that appreciates about 10 to 15% a year, your home is not your number one investment. Let's, let's attack the worldview like I'm a emerging business owner. I don't say small business because that's an oxymoron. I'm an emerging business owner. So, you know, I love what they give us. These are, these are the techniques and strategies you can use to grow your business. But I'm taking a step back and I'm looking at them differently now because in, within five years, you know, 85% of all businesses will go out of business. Well, wait, wait a second. You know, if, if we're all listening to the same thing, you know, I take a, you know, I take a shift with our actual 
with our actual educational system. I'm like, you know what? I got a problem with you guys. You know, I need to challenge the mindset that you've been taught with your educational system that getting a collegiate education with $200,000 student loans is a great idea. It might not be a good idea. So I teach you this change and shift your mind to win in this game of life. Just like the 46 bear was a man. Do you know how many coaches were like, this is not fair. What is this? What is this 40? Why all the guys are down? What's it's a different mindset. And sometimes you got to think outside the box and not get comfortable. Cause if you're not careful, your comfort zone will become your casket. Okay. So that, I'm just going to do the mic drop on that one. <laughs> Hold on. You've heard a few of those, right? Yeah. Just one or two in my life. One or two. Yeah. So that's, a, you know, that's a mic drop moment. So now we know, okay, change your mindset. If somebody said that to me, I might go, okay, I, I haven't heard that one before, right? So let's give some tricks, tips, how to's, how did you change your mindset? And what are some ways that somebody can begin to change their mindset, especially when our mindsets are pretty engraved in our brains? Yeah, think differently. So you have to... The, 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 the number one mindset that you have to change first and foremost is your identity. That that's it right there is that for me, I am a winner. That is the biggest mindset, right? That you, you have to change that because it changes your perspective and it changes your approach to life. Let me give you an example. If I'm on a roller coaster, like a six flags, right. And, and I'm in a roller coaster car, or let's just use something a bit more uh, that people can understand. If, if I'm on a Ferris wheel and the Ferris wheel is up there and I'm going around the Ferris wheel and it gets and it stops at the top, I know it's a ride. So I can be a little nervous, but it's cool, you know, because it's a ride. If I'm on the Ferris wheel and I'm 300 feet in the air and I don't know it's a ride and I don't know if I'm going to make it down, do you know how scared I'm going to be? I'm going to be very scared. So when you approach this game of life, if you don't know um, who you are in this game, and if you don't know your projected outcome, and this is what I am, and this is what I do, in this game, the game is going to take you for a ride. If I step on the football field without a jersey on, nobody recognizes me. Your identity is everything. So my identity is that I am a winner. And so now I approach life from that. So naturally what I start doing is I start studying other winners. Then I start pulling laws from other winners. Like a perfect example um, is a guy named Walt Disney. Walt Disney was a winner and he had... Disneyland and he was landlocked. He couldn't build. So guess what? He hired a team of people to secretly start buying acreage in Orlando. He brought over close to 30,000 acres of land before they realized what he was doing. That's a law of capacity. Winners always create capacity. Winners always build teams. Winners 
always start with the end in mind, Stephen Covey. Winners always learn how to win and accept loss and learn from the loss. When we lose, you study, you go to in the film room and you understand your loss. Winners know their competition. Winners know themselves. Okay. And so now it's, it's, it's a totally different mindset, but it starts with your identity. Cause if you don't know who you, you are, you're who they say you are. And once somebody can name you, it has all authority and a power over you. You don't know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you only know. If you don't know who you they, are, you're who they say you are. You're who they say you are. Got it. Wow. It's pretty powerful. It's kind of like abdicating your personality and your who you are to, to the rest of the world. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people tend to do that and mask themselves off without even realizing that they've put a mask on. Yeah. That's image. Because we value image. We don't value identity. So how does one go about taking the mask off? Integrity with yourself, being truthful and understand that it's okay to be. Everyone's like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. You have strengths that poke out and you have weaknesses that poke in. You have to be willing and okay with you. And our, and our society makes us so discontent to be who we are. That's why you want to spend all that money for a daggone Mercedes and live in a certain housing development and wear a certain, you're always trying to become, but you can never become unless you be. So you know what? Just be you and be happy with who you are. Nice. I think, uh, I think we'll leave the audience off with that. that <laughs> because, uh, you know, what else, what else is there, but, being comfortable with uh, yeah. who you are and taking that out to the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Listen, 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 because you got me on a roll here. I was gonna say one thing, okay? We are all in the business of selling, okay? But before you try to sell anything to anyone else, you sell to yourself. Sell yourself in the mirror. You sell yourself. You're awesome. You're this and you're that. You sell yourself before you sell to anyone else. Sell yourself and never sell yourself short. Mm. Well, you're more than welcome to rant on my show any day. <laughs> and get on a roll. And uh, I really appreciate you being here and giving to the audience like this, like you have. I know I ask some pretty uh, crazy questions, get you off, off your normal game, hopefully a little bit. I like to, you know, throw the curves, not just the past that's straight and nicely spiraled, but yeah. the ones that lemon out, you know? So, uh, <laughs> so I appreciate you being here and, uh, and we will, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, continue on these conversations and hopefully the audience got a lot out of this. I'm sure that they did. And remember to rate, subscribe, comment, like, review, etc. 
Sean, how can people get a hold of you if they'd like to uh, to work with you? Yeah, so my actual website is seanharper.org or seanspeaks.com. Yeah, use seanspeaks.com. I'm giving away a free chapter of my book and it's uh, Sean Harper Wins, W-I-N-S, uh, .com. Um, and no, don't worry about that. Go to seanharper.co. You'll get the full book. I'll give you a full book. You get the full book, The Winning Edge, Understanding uh, Winning Strategies and Tactics. Since we've talked about that and you pulled that out, go to seanharper.co. You'll get the entire book for free. You ain't got to go to Amazon. It's, wow. it's yours. And the last thing I'll say is, this is for me selfishly, uh, is Sean Harper Speaker on Instagram. That's it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for that gift. I know that that'll be in and of itself a great value for, for the audience. So remember to go there, seanharper.co, mm-hmm. and get a copy of his book and learn edge. yourself. Yeah. And so winning mindsets. This has been a great new tomorrow episode. And let's remember to create a new tomorrow today. Activate your vision for a better world. I am your host, Ari Gronich. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming on. And we be out. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.